great gowns, beautiful gowns. I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Carrie Bradshaw. And this is Sex in the City. <laughs> what? I thought this was every outfit. <laughs> this actually isn't an and just like that episode. This is, we're back to our old uh, hijinks. We're talking about popular culture, but of course, we can't not talk about and just like that also. That's true. I do like, just as before, we're constantly like, what are we going to talk about? Nothing happened. And then things happen. <laughs> they always do. We did a lovely HBO Max event with Molly and Danny, the costume designers of Anne Just Like That, this week at the Soho House. Molly Rogers and Danny Santiago. Obsessed with them. Um, they also revealed to us that Michael Patrick King loves us, which I don't know if that's true. I think but... that means he hasn't listened to the podcast. <laughs> His memory of when he met us in 2018 was, is still is still there. Thank God. If you saw the Anne Just Like That documentary you know how fucking funny Molly Rogers is. So just imagine her off the record, obsessed with her. But yeah, we would have told our LA-based listeners about this event, except for it was like the guest list was out of our control. It was like random influencers that HBO Max invited and like Soho House members. Yes, and when we took this job, we were like, oh great, the Soho House in West Hollywood. They're like, no, the Soho House in downtown. (laughs) And we were like, oh, okay. (laughs) No shade to the Soho House downtown. It does have a pool on the roof, much like the meatpacking Soho House. And Dover Street is just down the street. Yeah, and we wanted to go there because it's usually such like a burden to go to Dover Street Market for us because like who wants to go over there? It's not just downtown. It's the Arts District, which is kind of like to the side of downtown. It's further downtown. We only go down there when we're forced to visit our screen printers, (laughs) (laughs) which is like a nightmare in and of itself. Anyway, we wanted to go to Dover Street, but there was some Nike drop or something. So the line was too long. We couldn't go in. I'm like, fuck this shit. I just wanted to get something from Idea Books or something. We went to some wine shop and got lectured about (laughs) German wines. We thought it was a natural wine shop, but we were wrong. And then Uh, we felt too guilty to walk out, so we felt (laughs) obligated to buy something. So we were fully bullied into buying wine, kind of like when you go into one of those, like, stores on Canal Street, and they just, like, verbally, like, berate you until you buy some fake Louis Vuitton wallet. Except that lovely man did none of that. (laughs) He took the opposite tactic, and he just lectured us about the wine and its origins so long that we were like, if we buy this, will you stop talking? Tat copped the worst of it. I just kind of walked away and was like... (laughs) You and I just kept looking at the wine refrigerator. We're like, huh, this is interesting. But back to Molly and Danny, one thing that stuck with me that they revealed was when they were talking about the hot fellas uniforms. I think you asked me, like, did you guys design those? And they said that the higher ups at HBO were like scandalized by the mood boards for them because it was just like Tom of Finland references and shit. Yeah, they were like the other departments were scandalized by what the references were. And I was like, what? Like the barbacks from Studio 54? Like, what were your references? And they were like, Tom of Finland. And we all just went, nah. Yeah, I imagine it was like Tom of Finland, like mechanic stuff. They also revealed that they had to make all different sizes for all the men, all the hot fellas. They were all made to measure for those hot, hot bods. 
So the two things that I meant to ask and just the conversation went in other directions. One was, did the hot fellas get to keep their hot fellas costumes? And two, if you watch the documentary, and we knew this from interviewing Molly previously, that Sarah Jessica Parker has most of Carrie Bradshaw's wardrobe in storage, that I wonder if these new outfits get reabsorbed, like the Jean-Paul Gaultier trompe l'oeil suit. Yeah, jumpsuit. Yeah, that was the biggest reveal of the documentary for me. I'm like, that was... (laughs) That's one piece of clothing. Genius. If I didn't think Gautier was genius before, now I think he's even more brilliant. That and Molly's hat poem for Michael Patrick King. We're going to talk more about the documentary on our forthcoming Patreon episode. Which has not dropped. Don't worry, guys. You haven't missed it. We've seen the DMs that are like, I'm looking for it. Where is it? It's later this week. It's coming this Friday. We are going to get into the doc and we are going to get into the series as a whole. The high the lows and the Che Diaz of it all. Moving on to Moran, just like that news, we got a spicy little soundbite from SJP this week. Yes, who made a rare comment about Kim Cattrall returning. Spoiler alert, don't look forward to that, guys. Speaking to Variety, Parker said that the tense negotiations over the third film had left a bad taste in her mouth to the point where Kim Cattrall was not even offered a role in Just Like That, which I was not expecting. I thought they at least talked to her in the beginning stages. I wouldn't talk to her if I was Michael Patrick King. We didn't go for Kim for this, you know. After we didn't do the movie and the studio couldn't meet what she wanted to do, we have we have to hear her and listen to her and what was important to her. It didn't fit into what was important or needed for us. I think it was important and needed for you, but Kim Cattrall doesn't want to do the show, and that's within her rights, and I don't even judge her for that. But you can tell that this experience really fucked with Sarah Jessica Parker, the, like, desolution of the third film because she yeah. she is usually very mum in the public sphere and the only times that she's ever been quasi catty in always the most shrewd way possible is when she admitted that there was going to be a sex in city three and it wasn't happening because of kim which i think that was either 2017 or 2019 that was a long time ago it was a while ago but she still speaks about it with the the same bitterness in the classiest way possible but you feel that subtext lauren now we have to update our powerpoint presentation (laughs) about the progression of the sarah jessica parker kim cattrall feud yeah maybe that is something for the patreon for those few you of you, handful of you who saw us during our We Should All Be Miranda's book tour, we did a, a truly demented, tr- true crime-esque reconstruction. Chelsea designed a beautiful infographic where we went piece by piece, gossip by gossip, season by season about the feud between Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall. But we haven't gotten a soundbite in forever. I'm surprised that she said it publicly. Like she's very high up in the end, just like that food chain, obviously. But I am kind of surprised that the powers that be wouldn't have a problem with her being this candid. Because I would think that she would say, of course I'd work with Kim, but then maybe privately if if Kim wanted to be involved would do something different that I don't think that's shady or two-faced I just think that's like a normal no way to handle this and that is my point as well is again she's very smart about the way she presents herself in public and so this is very unlike her because then she gives a second quote where the person asks again like well what about Kim returning for season two and she goes I don't think I would because I think there's just too much public history of feelings on her part that she's shared yeah 
let me put that through my Joe Pesci translator for everyone. <laughs> She's like, I didn't make shit awkward for all of us. It's because she said all this shit. Yeah. Is how I read that quote. Yeah, that's how I read it too. Was this also the article where Daddy MPK said that he was working on season two or was that another article? I know. He did like a Hollywood Reporter piece, a Deadline piece, and a Variety piece. And so it all just bled together. I don't... We still haven't gotten that call, Lauren. <laughs> I also... This is nothing against the writers from the previous season, but I don't know if they want to mount Everest again in that way. I mean, didn't Samantha Irby say, like, I've been getting death threats? Like, I don't know if it's worth it for them. Yeah, I would be surprised if the room was exactly the same for season two. Not because I think anyone would get let go, but because people would not want to come back. But hey, if there's a spot to be filled, Lauren. It's a two for one deal. <laughs> I imagine that if Michael Patrick King did call us, it would come from a dedicated landline like <laughs> Charlie's Angels kind of. Maybe MPK would let us do a bottle episode that's Miranda and Shay in Cleveland. <laughs> In LA. What do you think the right tone would be for that, though? Like, is it like a it's, last tango in Paris situation? No, tonally, I would imagine it's similar to whatever that season four, season five episode of Six Feet Under when Nate and Brenda are back together and they're trying to figure out what happened to Lisa's body, like right. how Lisa actually died. And then they find out that the Lisa's brother-in-law had been fucking her and then he shoots himself in the face. Anyway... <laughs> Not to spoil uh, season four of Six Feet Under. It's a show from 2003, please. It's shocking that HBO Max doesn't pay us to talk about this shit. Although they did pay us for our Soho House event. That was nice. And as I let them know in email, we will do. We will give the Gilded Age, Righteous Gemstones, the same treatment. Yes. No, honestly, one of us more than the other has talked shit, which is weird because I'm, you know, the dedicated screenwriter of the duo. But if I were MPK, I would be like, you think you could do better? Fucking sit here. Do better. I think we would be good. I mean, even if not writers, consultants, <laughs> you know, because I could tell you where this went wrong and how to how to move forward. I mean, I will write a dissertation on that shit. Or I guess the HBO Max executives and or Michael Patrick King could just subscribe to the Patreon. Yeah. Hopefully none of them will ever listen to the podcast. So it would seem that someone has gotten the Hey, it's Che Diaz meme to Sada Ramirez because on Sunday they posted, Hey, hey. it's Che Diaz. <laughs> on Twitter. Do you think they get it? Look, if I'm Sada Ramirez, I would have a really hard time dealing with that level of hate. But as we've discussed before, the fan response to Che Diaz isn't purely hate. Like there's aspects of it that are quite fun and lighthearted. And I think that if Sada could really own Che Diaz, they would be unstoppable. Okay. If you could. But I don't know if they can. And I would understand why they couldn't. It's tough to become a, a meme because it's a very hard meme to understand. It's no, like, we've tried to explain it to uh, to some people close to the show and it's it's hard to explain. I think the issue with Che Diaz... Oh, hold on. Let me save that for the, for the Patreon. No. Yeah, we have to stop this conversation. Yeah, actually. We're paywalling this shit. Why don't we think it's been announced that the show has been renewed? I don't know, Lauren. And there's something, sure, it could be scheduling, but there has been something so fundamentally bizarre about the entire rollout and marketing of this show 
it has always felt incredibly fast because if you think about it, like they were just mounting the writer's room this time last year. They were shooting over the summer and it came out before the end of the year. Yeah. And Sarah Jessica Parker couldn't do press because she was off shooting Hocus Pocus 2. That's the other thing that felt so bizarre about it. Yeah. Among other public scandals that came to light. But here are my theories. They didn't want to be overshadowed by the Euphoria renewal announcement. They're filming something special to announce it. They're waiting to see if they get nominated for awards or they're fucking with us. Or they don't have their shit together. <laughs> Wait, I thought I was the mean one. What? <laughs> I don't know or something there is something that is preventing like they're almost there almost all the ducks are in a row but they're not all in the row I don't think it would take away from the euphoria announcement and I just I think it's very jarring because when we're watching a show that is very popular and beloved by fans we are used to these mid-season updates where they announce that there's going to be another season. And it's like they put them, if you if you are watching on a streaming service, it's the first thing you see when you click on whatever show you're watching. It's like, don't worry, bitch. Yellow Jacket's been renewed for season two. Like, don't have a fucking meltdown. <laughs> also, you know? yeah, also, like, Netflix gets high on renewing shows before they've even premiered. Yeah. They're like, you know, the show you haven't seen, guess what? You're getting two more seasons. It's like, okay, I, yeah. it must be good if we're getting two more seasons. So within this landscape, it does feel bizarre, but maybe it's just a scheduling thing. Cynthia Nixon has Gilded Age. Sarah Jessica Parker is doing Plaza Suite. What's happening with that? I mean, do you think this is MPK further trying to be like David Lynch and making it all a mystery? Uh, no it's not that deep anyway speaking of euphoria i finally watched episode five what do you mean finally it's tuesday it only came out sunday well, when you don't just because of the internet discourse right. around euphoria if you don't watch it on the day that it comes out you just like don't understand the internet uh, that is true because it was a it was a spicy episode. It was a very very good episode. I was shocked by how good it was for a television show and how little it felt like a television show. Yeah, it's like, hey, do you want the most upsetting section of traffic where Erica Christensen is addicted to drugs? Here's an <laughs> hour of that. Yeah, but it also had a lot of suspense and action, and I know there's a lot of movies that have this basic framework of someone someone on the run. What, Run Lola Run? The Franco Potenti? Sure. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm honestly shocked that they didn't do that, and I'm sure it's coming for those who have not seen Run Lola Run. It was like a late 90s German film, and it was three, it had like a sliding doors thing where it was three 30-minute sections where she made different choices in each. She was trying to save her boyfriend right drugs or getting arrested it was, it's i haven't seen that in so long did, you, did you dye your hair red because of run lola run because a lot of people i know did no i wasn't i wasn't cool enough for that anyway yeah it seems like something that would be brought into streaming shows although i believe they did this with black mirror although i i'm not bandersmash yeah you got to choose your own adventure. yeah i didn't i didn't watch that Anyway, did you also feel like you had missed something when the Euphoria episode started? Because it was like, it just thrust you into what in any other show would be the middle of the episode or the climax of an episode. Well, and thank God. I'm glad that we got to it because I get that Rue constantly being on drugs and relapsing and hiding it is true to the cyclical nature of addiction. But it was for me getting boring that she hadn't gotten caught. So I like that they just cut to the chase in the middle of the season at the beginning of this episode and we didn't have to wait 
an entire season for this payoff. We're assuming that if you are listening to this at this point, you've watched the episode or you do not care about being spoiled for Euphoria. She gets into a gigantic fight with her mother, which, am I a bad person for feeling satisfied when her mother smacks her? I'm like, good. Yeah. Good. Well, I feel so bad for her mom and also her sister. I mean, Ugh. it's so heartbreaking to watch. It really is. But it's it's such a fabulous show, and I've really enjoyed this season so far. So I sort of had two logic questions, which is... You? Me? How did she not get <laughs> third-degree burns when she stepped onto that flaming barbecue? Oh, I didn't... That's actually not one of my questions, but it's like, if you heard the fight that was ensuing between, at this point, still your girlfriend and her mother, wouldn't you have gone from oh, the yeah. living room to check yeah. it out? Like, I would have thought, like, this is... Like, should I call the cops at that point? Yeah, I mean, there's multiple call the cops moments. Also, if you are Rue's mother and you are told that your daughter has not just drugs, but a suitcase full of drugs, would you really flush them or would you be like put two and two together and be like, this is not okay for a 17-year-old to have. Is my daughter a dealer? What is going on? Yeah, but also I can see how you just like flush them and like not know what you're looking at. Like, I don't know what $10,000 worth of Oxy looks like. Yeah, but like, again, if you had a suitcase full of drugs. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm on I'm on Rue's mom's side. Also seeing the Cassie-Maddie confrontation was absolutely thrilling yeah i saw that people were annoyed that it was just sort of blurted out in this way but that's what makes it great yeah is like it's such a great comedic moment which is feels weird to say in a euphoria episode where cassie's like doesn't know what to say so she's like just one day at a time and that that's what sets rue over the edge where it's like she's oh, like this bitch yeah so i'm gonna destroy your world i'm interested to see how and if they repair their relationship Obviously, Cassie and Lexi's mother is very permissive, as we saw in the previous episode, or she's like the mom that hosts the party and allows everyone to drink. But if a girl, especially my daughter's best friend, was screaming in her face and threatening to throw hands, like I'd be like, yoink. Like, yeah. so much good acting on this episode oh, overall. The, Zendaya is just stunning. Oh, the tweet that was like, sorry to every actress who thought they'd be winning the best drama Emmy this year. Yeah. It's a lock. Like, what? Yeah, there's no... <laughs> Olivia Coleman as the queen can't match up to that. Nope. The other thing that I wasn't expecting to happen today was the Oscars. Yeah, I forgot about them. It's easy to see why we kind of forgot about them, because I'm looking at the Best Picture nominees, and I'm like, oh, I've basically seen none of these movies. So what are they? All right, Best Picture, we've got Belfast, which is that film about Kenneth Branagh's childhood in Ireland. Not going to see it. Coda, which I just started to hear about a couple weeks ago that's supposed to be quite good. Don't ask me what it's about. I don't know. Still not going to see it. I don't know why, but I'm not. Don't Look Up, which I refuse to see. It's terrible. I saw it. Don't see it. Drive My Car, which is a Japanese film that's been getting a lot of buzz. So we should actually see that. Yes. Dune. No. <laughs> no. I love the Rick Owens-esque costumes, but but no. King Richard? I'll watch that. I'll yeah. watch that. Yeah. Licorice Pizza, which we did see. Thank God. We saw something. Give it all the awards. Nightmare Alley, which is uh, a film where I guess Bradley Cooper shows his penis in a bathtub, but he's very proud of his full frontal scene. So we should just watch that clip on YouTube. Well, I want to watch it because one, I love Guillermo del Toro, but two, I've seen the original Nightmare Alley and it's a weird fucking movie. Like it is about a man who almost becomes a carnival geek. 
and I don't mean geek in the colloquial way, the geek in the definition of like the guy that, that chews heads off of chickens. Like that is the climax of a film is like, is he going to eat this chicken head or not? I'm still too traumatized from American Horror Story freak show to engage <laughs> with that, but knock yourself out. A Power of the Dog, which I want to see. Yeah, we got to see that. West Side Story. I, yeah, I can't wait to see that. But Tat hates musicals, so I haven't really found the time. Yes, and I also hate musicals. So you're going to have to take the L on that one. Also, I had assumed that it was one of those Spielberg films that come out on Christmas Day. Like West Side Story came out, I think, around when and just like that came out. Oh, so it was overshadowed by Mr. Big's death from writing on a Peloton. No, I just think a lot of people didn't know the movie came out. Yeah. Well, I never know like what's coming out in theaters and what's on VOD. Like I have no sense of like when things are happening. I mean, best director, our boy P.T. Anderson is nominated for Licorice Pizza. I would assume this award is going to go to Jane Campion for Power of the Dog. Not mad at that. Love our girl. Respect. Yeah, I think that they're going to give it to her as... A career Oscar. The film is also supposed to be incredible, but also she will be the only the third woman <laughs> to win Best Director. And like, isn't she the first woman to be nominated twice? Double nominated. Yeah. yeah. That's a dark and depraved statistic. Best Actor, Javier Bardem for Being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom, Will Smith for King Richard, Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth. I'm rooting for Will. Because he, he, like Brad Pitt, when he was doing the awards run for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like he's going to give us good award show moments. And that's what we need. Yeah. Denzel already has one. Doesn't Two. Benedict, yeah, Cumber, whatever his name is. Uh, he seems like an Oscar guy. I don't think he won for turning whatever. He's, he'll happily allow Will Smith to win an award. Because right. Will Smith is the most likely of these actors to give us that Roberto Benini standing on chairs, climbing over people to get to the stage. Yeah. And is. that's what I want. I don't want Oscars in train stations anymore, okay? <laughs> we did that. Yeah, and I also want like Jada's Oscars look. Like I want like the whole sitch, you know? Maybe they'll be in a thruple by then. I want to see this thruple <laughs> All right, best actress, Jessica Chastain, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. That we need to watch. Yeah. It seems like a very campy performance. Okay, I'm sure it's actually flawless or it wouldn't be nominated. Speaking of which, I finally watched Judy on the plane, like coming back from New York. Oh, the Renee Zellweger film. Okay, I didn't, even though I'm a huge Judy Garland fan, I didn't watch it when it came out because everyone told me it was terrible. And like, I watched it and I was like, this movie is amazing. You guys are crazy. Like, yeah, the script isn't good, but like this performance is so fucking major. It blew me away. Do you know what I just noticed is not nominated that we recently both saw him playing separately and consider it our favorite movie, one of our favorite movies of 2021, Pig. I know that Pig really should have gotten that best supporting <laughs> actor or actress. It was a girl Pig. Lady Pig. Up against Kirsten Dunst. It's like, it's, imagine they cut, like they cut to the audience and it's like Kirsten Dunst. The pig, pig from pig. pig. I'm not feeling good about eating pork after watching Pig. I will say that much. Yeah, but then you proceeded to order a pepperoni pizza. Okay, I had one moment. I have not had pork aside from that. 
Okay, back to the nominees. Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter. Yes. She already has an Oscar. Penelope Cruz, Parallel Mothers, already has an Oscar. Nicole Kidman, Being the Ricardos. I guess we have to watch this be- Being the Ricardos. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know what? I want to. <laughs> you know what? Let my parents watch that film. It just feels like a movie for parents to yeah. then tell us about. I, I don't want to watch it. And yeah, she has. She got it for the hours, right? Like yeah. That's her. She has one Oscar? Yeah. She yeah. should have gotten one for To Die For. And then Kristen Stewart for Spencer. Okay, so we're rooting for her. Yeah, this is interesting. Totally. I don't know if there are any front runners. And also, Olivia Coleman won an Oscar. Too recently. We don't want that again. And she took it from Glenn Close. That was supposed to be Glenn Close Oscar. Oh, yeah, she won that dirty Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Best Supporting Actor, I'll just read uh, Jesse Plemons for Power of the Dog. I only mention this because his partner, Kirsten Dunst, is nominated for Power of the Dog as well in the Best Supporting category. Well, it's also Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem are both nominated. They're hot and talented. And they always dress well. She does. I mean, she'll be in Chanel. I mean, he does too. (laughs) Yeah, but he'll just be in a suit. It's not like... (laughs) Yeah, but he looks good in a suit. I don't really care about supporting. I mean, the pig wasn't nominated. I do care about Kirsten Dunst. That is deserved. That's a, we're sorry we forgot about you around the mid-2000s. The fact that we live in a world where, because I consider like Michelle Williams and Kirsten Dunst to kind of occupy a similar like woman-child territory in Hollywood. And the fact that like, Michelle Williams is nominated like every fucking year and Kirsten Dunst doesn't have a single nomination until now and it's supporting actress. Do you think on the set of Dick in the year 2000 they broke a wishbone? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and Kirsten's piece of the wishbone was just like a shard, (laughs) a scrap. See you in 2022, bitch. (laughs) Um, I want to bring up best costume design because Spencer isn't on the list. I'm going to murder someone. Because also, none of these movies, except for Cruella, Cruella has a central point about the fucking dresses. Like, three-fourths of Spencer is her getting dressed. (laughs) The costumes in Spencer are sublime. Like, unbelievable. Cruella, also amazing. Well, now I need to watch Nightmare Alley to be like, okay, were the costumes good enough to be nominated for Best Costume Design? Because sometimes they'll just nominate period films because they're set in the 1930s. And they're like, good job. This obviously took effort. It's also interesting because, like, Jenny Beaven is the only, like, really famous costume designer that's nominated this year. Like, there's no Colleen Atwood. There's no Sandy Powell. Like, there's not those, like, big names that we usually get. Oh, you know what was also not nominated for Best Costume? Oh, House of Gucci. Yes, but it was nominated for Best Makeup and Hairstyling, so... Well, someone needs to be rewarded for the fact that Jared Leto looked like that. It was a real makeup triumph! (laughs) Stop that. My prosthetics don't look like a bottle! (laughs) Oh, I'm so angry about that film. And I went into the beginning of last year. I am Ridley Scott Hive, people. And I was like, he's got two movies out. He's never won a Best Directing nomination. Motherfucker isn't even nominated for Best Director. He made two movies last year. (laughs) Yeah, that's fucked. So when are the Oscars actually, though? March 27th, 2022. Okay, we'll be back then. Well, I'm very happy that we've gone back to... Because the Oscars used to be almost in April. And then, like, around the Iraq War, they're like, now they're in February. And it was like, what? 
I mean, it is sad that we're not going to see Lady Gaga on the carpet. It is sad that we're not going to be able to see Nicolas Cage as his character in Pig. <laughs> Nicolas Cage on the red carpet. <laughs> Nicolas Cage would have brought the pig as his date. Yeah. Also, like, no noms for Zola. Nothing. Not one thing. No, Zola is going to sweep the Independent Film Awards. And, like, that has become the new Golden Globes. It has the best show, the most interesting people, the best fashion. Yeah. That is the award show to watch. Well, Zola is also going to be the influential movie of this year, right? Like, I can see that having more of an impact on films in the future than... Don't look up. Than don't look up. Yeah, but unfortunately, all the studios are going to take the wrong lesson from Zola and be like, oh, tweets can just be movies now. (laughs) You're right. All right. Is it time for Cancel Culture Roundup? Um, uh, yeah, I guess. (laughs) I guess. Where should we start? What be your Joe Rogan? Whoopee, because I know this has been a very trying week for you as a (laughs) View fanatic. It has. So Whoopi Goldberg was suspended from The View for two weeks because of comments that she made about the Holocaust. She said that it, quote unquote, wasn't about race. She later apologized and then she got suspended, which has never happened in the history of The View. And I don't know how closely you've been following this, Lauren, but I have many thoughts i did go into the details of this i find it interesting that the evening that she said the comment she was also scheduled to go on stephen colbert yeah who was like trying to help her explain like you know in america our concept of race is like based on skin and then she reiterated yeah yeah, yeah, but the point of the holocaust is it goes beyond racism it was just pure evil that's the point that she was trying to make which she said the holocaust is not about race it's about man's inhumanity to man that was the point that she was trying to make is it what came across no i imagine you saw her apology that she tweeted yes i know this is not the point but like who designed that apology graphic because it was quite good like is that a graphics person at the view <sighs> yeah that got, i got like know. a call at 1 a.m <laughs> i don't know but i appreciated that as well i mean look i understand that downplaying the racial aspects of the holocaust is anti-semitic but i do not believe that in her heart Whoopi goldberg is a Holocaust denier. I mean, it's not really consistent with viewpoints that she's expressed on this show for the past 15 years. Look, The View is a show where a group of women make some good arguments, a lot of really terrible, poorly researched, off-the-cuff arguments. Like, that's what the show is about. That's what it's always been. The next day when she went on The View, she opened the show with an apology and she acknowledged that the Holocaust was indeed about race. And she said, words matter and mine are no exception. I regret my comments and I stand corrected, which I thought was a pretty prompt and accurate apology. Yeah, I mean, what she said was factually inaccurate. But again, it's like it's not the point that she was trying to make. Right. She just made a bad argument. Like she was basically just trying to express that like some human beings possess a capacity for evil that is like incomprehensible to us, like that we can't rationalize. And the Holocaust is just the most extreme example of that. Yeah, but unfortunately she said that first part first. Right. So no one can really focus on that second part. Yeah, the president of ABC News said, while Whoopi has apologized, I've asked her to take time to reflect and learn about the impact of her comments. The entire ABC News organization stands in solidarity with our Jewish colleagues, friends, family, and communities. They did not do this for the Jewish community. 
Absolutely not. No. They're like, people are pissed online. We're covering our asses. That's what's so annoying about it. And I know that there's a 0% chance that Whoopi Goldberg is sitting at home reflecting on what she's done. She's pissed and she has a right to be pissed. Also, I can't help but feel like this is a corporate litmus test. Like, they're yeah. just waiting to see if people are still talking about it in a couple weeks. Well, it just sets a really, really shitty precedent for this show. And this is a show where people have always said fucked up shit. But the great thing about The View is that someone says something fucked up, another co-host is able to provide a counter argument and there's a discourse about it it's like I had to sit through like years of Elizabeth Hasselbeck saying marriages between man and a man and a woman or whatever she's never reprimanded Candace Cameron Bure can say that businesses should be able to discriminate legally discriminate against gay people but Whoopi isn't really offered the same consideration and no one really checked her to her face right like Joy wasn't like I think you're wrong no they checked her to her face they were both Anna was like that's not true again it it is like a factually inaccurate thing to say anyway it sucks and I'm just like I'm annoyed because I think The View had just gotten to a very good place. Like, The View has been in a really dark place. Like, between the pandemic, these remote shows, which were terrible, all the drama with Megan, which, like, initially, I was sad that she was leaving the show, not because, again, I co-sign on everything that she says, but because I think she offered something interesting to the discussion. But now that she's gone, I realize like, oh, this is a much less toxic environment. Like this is actually like the vibes are good now. And now with this whoopee thing, I feel like either she's going to quit the show because she's pissed, which fair, or she's going to come back and she's going to be so pissed that it's just going to fuck up the vibes all over again. It's going to be like Megan never left because she's so pissed at ABC. Yeah, and she's held on for a long time. Well, she's been there for like 15 years or something. I don't want to put you in a worse mood, but something tells me she's going to quit. That's going to be her power move. Well, the other thing that really sucks about this is that this hasn't been discussed on The View. Ooh. Like normally or in the past, whenever The View becomes a hot topic, they address it on the top of the show. Maybe they wouldn't have like a full discussion about it, but like it will be acknowledged. They have not acknowledged this. So are they down to four or is it three? Okay, well, that's the other terrible thing. When Whoopi is gone, that means that Joy's the moderator. Joy is not good at being a moderator. She's good at many things, but not moderating. So it's Sarah Haynes, it's uh, Sonny Hostin, Anna Navarro, who normally just comes in on Fridays, but I think maybe she's been around more because Whoopi's gone. It's very distressing. So what Um, you're saying is they should bring Tommy Lahren in. (laughs) No, I mean... Well, that's the other thing about The View. It's like they're currently down one. They're looking for a conservative to fill Megan McCain's role, but it's just tricky. They're like looking for someone that doesn't exist. Like I listen to a podcast called Deja The View, which is really fabulous. They are to The View what we are to Sex of the City. And I will link to this in the show notes. But they are constantly making the point that like they need to just bring in a progressive Democrat to that seat because... They won't put in someone Trumpy. They're not going to do it, even though that's where the Republican Party is at. And that's like what theoretically should happen. It's not going to happen. So they're kind of looking for like a Republican that doesn't exist, basically. But someone like someone I'm looking at right now could pretend to be. (laughs) 
Do you know what this Whoopi Goldberg thing reminded me of? Before you moved to LA, I was having dinner at the Sunset Tower. Do you remember I texted you and I was like, Whoopi Goldberg and Timothy Dalton are having dinner right now. And Whoopi must have been staying there because she left. And then Timothy Dalton was there. I was like, oh, I guess she went to the bathroom. And then Timothy Dalton just like took his drink and like followed her. And I was like, oh, they're fucking. (laughs) So good. I mean, Whoopi can get it. Also, like, I remember once they talked about, like, how many people they've slept with on The View. Whoa. And Whoopi said about 100 people. I think the use of the word people is interesting. And Elizabeth Hasselbeck was so, like, scandalized by it, which I found to be really hilarious. But yeah, love that for her. I love Whoopi. You know, I really do. It's like she's given us so much and it feels just disrespectful to me the way that ABC has chosen to handle this. Although, of course, I understand why her statement was considered to be offensive. And going from people we love to people we do not love, we have debated talking about this because it has gotten quite dark, but I do think it's a worthwhile... (laughs) Yeah, I've been like begging Lauren all week. Like, I absolutely do not want to talk about this, but sure, let's talk about it. But I do think it's a worthwhile conversation in regards to like ethical consumption and media posturing, and that is this whole Joe Rogan Spotify debacle. By now, you know, artists like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell asked Spotify to pull their music from their catalog in protest to the platform hosting Joe Rogan and his podcast, which has spread destructive COVID misinformation. I should disclose, I have listened to the Joe Rogan experience. I started listening <laughs> after the after Hillary Clinton lost the election in 2016 because I struggled, like many of us, to be like, how the fuck did this happen? And I felt like his podcast represented an audience that led to Trump being elected. Which, right. in listening to the podcast, I was not incorrect. I don't really listen anymore. And I, even his fans would say that since moving to Austin, the podcast has gone downhill. Which, well, where did he live before? L.A., which he ironically moved to Austin. Not that he's directly said this, but he got this $100 million Spotify deal and then moved Uh-oh. to a state with no state income tax. Right. And then, yeah, it's gone downhill because of his, like, weird obsession and anti-vax stance and having on cranks who reinforce his point of view. Look, obviously, I'm not happy with vaccine misinformation. I do consider it to be a a threat to public health, but I don't agree with deplatforming people just because I happen to disagree with them. However, with the racial slurs stuff or the fact that he used racial slurs in, like, over 100 episodes, that's, that's a bridge too far. Yeah, and if we had done the podcast last week, I would have said that there are plenty of ways to invalidate and embarrass Joe Rogan, and that would be one of them. Like, that has been known about his podcast for a while, and then India Re fully bodied him over the weekend by releasing a compilation of him saying the N-word, hard R, on his podcast over the years, and this forced Rogan to immediately film an apology for The Rock, who had previously been like, oh, I'll totally be on your podcast and I'll bring you my tequila to backtrack his support and for Spotify to pull 110 episodes where the word was used. You know what this reminded me of? How good the song Video by India Ari is. (laughs) And I pulled it up on Spotify. It's still on Spotify. It's still there. Yeah, so this is why I I kind of wanted to talk about it, is just this weird media posturing on both sides I find kind of embarrassing. So from what I just said from The Rock, who said he couldn't wait to be a Rogan guest, which, like, if you're at the level at The Rock, isn't someone on your team being like, Rogan problematic just to like double check that you're okay giving your support to him yeah I guess I mean 
again, like this is someone I've never listened to Joe Rogan. I have no understanding of this man. Like, right. Except for every once in a while, you're like, Chelsea, Kanye was on Joe Rogan this week or like (laughs) Elon Musk (laughs) smoked weed on his podcast. Whatever it is. I mean, I do hate the idea of Spotify censoring things in general because I feel like that will ultimately fall on music that we enjoy listening to. I do not like with Neil Young pulling his music. That's fine. Like I'm not a huge Neil Young stan. It's cool. Joni Mitchell. No, I want to be able to listen to Cord and Spark whenever I want to. And I can because I have Spotify and I have Apple Music, but I prefer Spotify. Well, this is my issue. This is not in any way me defending Joe Rogan. What I'm upset about is like... It seems like you're defending Joe Rogan. (laughs) I want to be very clear. Joe Rogan is a fucking idiot. I know this because I've listened to the podcast. It was like, oh, he's a moron. Like, yeah. But what concerns me about all of this press is it's made him more famous. And now people might be curious to listen to the show. I frankly find his rhetoric, certainly his rhetoric around race and around trans issues, way more fucking destructive than the vaccine stuff. Only for the fact that if you haven't been vaccinated, you haven't gotten this free, readily available thing that'll keep you from dying, like... I don't know what will make you get it then. And I certainly don't think that Joe Rogan is going to keep you from getting it. No, of course he's not. He's echoing a very widespread sentiment and mentality towards vaccines. We don't agree with it, but... Also, this is what I don't understand from his listeners, which is the subtext of what Joe Rogan's talking about, about him not being vaccinated, is this weird alpha male biohacker thing where he thinks that he could, like, (laughs) overcome the virus. And when he got COVID, he did get over it. And if that emboldens his listenership, it's like you're not understanding the ellipses of what he's saying which is like he could afford to get the monoclonal antibodies and have private like vitamin drip injections right all shit you can't and like yeah he got ivermectin and did that inspire people to like go out and get horse dewormer yeah but he also didn't invent that shit either but also he got to a doctor and could pay for the human grade ivermectin And not the horse dewormer stuff. (laughs) And like, no one in the press seems to make that distinction. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. As much as I don't want to talk about Joe Rogan, (laughs) I do appreciate your commentary about this. It's like, what are you going to do? Spotify said they're keeping him. His podcast averages 11 million listeners per episode. So to them, All of this is worth it because no artist has left the platform that could match his listenership. If Taylor Swift was like, take me off of Spotify, if Ariana Grande, if BTS did that, that would be a different story. No, it's it's true. What are we going to do? Go to Apple Music? Did we all forget about how we were mad at Apple seven years ago because we learned the factory that was making our iPhones had to put suicide nets in? Spoiler alert, those nets are still there. (laughs) There is no ethical consumption unless we all become like Nicolas Cage and Pig, okay? (laughs) Live off the grid. Train a lovely and gentle truffle pig. I'm sorry I brought this up, but I just like... (laughs) All roads lead back to Pig is my takeaway from this episode. So should we join India Ari in protest? 
Yeah, we're pulling our, our music. Everyone listening on Spotify is like, fuck. Yeah, has someone checked? Like, is Joni Mitchell's music off of Spotify? Some of it is, and all the good stuff is. But on a lighter note, have you seen Gwyneth Paltrow's Architectural Digest video? Yeah, did you also try to make a drinking game out of taking a shot every time Gwyneth said London? <laughs> I love that Gwyneth Paltrow revealed, like, what is objectively one of the most stunning bars I've ever seen. <laughs> in her living room and then she pulled back and revealed like actually i'm not really drinking that much right now it's it's seed lip cocktails for me it's like fuck you bitch (laughs) i do love that gwyneth was like look you can shoot my house but you get four rooms yeah because the it used to be that celebrities would only show their homes as a sign that like oh this couple's either about to get divorced or they're about to sell their house and that's why they're showing all of it and i like this new thing of like no you can look into the house i currently live in but i'm going to select a few rooms but one of them is an old-timey spa (laughs) yeah i get no bedrooms but like surely other rooms this is a house in montecito there's probably like 50 rooms we're probably seeing like four of 50 rooms well from what we did see of the four of 50 rooms this house is made up of wallpaper wood-burning fireplaces and questionable light fixtures yeah lots of lots of questionable light fixtures lots of brass it was designed by uh brigitte how do you say her name romantic is it like Mark Romantic? I think so. Who I know because she's a judge on that Ellen Furniture Design competition show that Ellen doesn't actually host. It's <laughs> that guy from Felicity that I feel like we talked about recently. Oh, Scott Foley. But I forget why. Scream 3. Yeah. He was the killer in Scream 3. Right. Okay. That was what it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's fab. This house is pretty fab. Obviously, if I walked in, I would be like, wow. But I'm a little resistant to the more maximal elements of it. And sometimes it works like the the wallpaper in the dining room, I think works. But like, I don't know if I need the plate wall in the kitchen. Can I tell you my pet peeve of mine of from rich people's homes? What? Okay. It's the lack of wall ovens and separate stovetops. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> because do you know what luxury is to me? Not bending down when I'm taking a roasted chicken out of the oven. Right. I don't want Gwyneth to have to be bending over and taking stuff out of the oven just like me. You think you know better than Gwyneth how to set up a kitchen? That's bold. That is bold. Have we really just glossed over the fact that she has a spa? We, I mean, we haven't gotten to it yet, if that's what you mean. Okay, we're just still in the kitchen. Well, the spa is my favorite part. Apart from the bar, it's the spa. And she's correct. I mean, she doesn't say it exactly this way, but she's like, it's what I'm known for. People expect it of me anyway. I have fuck you money. I probably can just pretend these are work expenses anyway. If you could afford to put a spa in your house, you should. There's no reason not to. Like, why wouldn't you? I don't get that. She also has some great minimalist art. Like, I feel like an unspoken rule that, like, every rich person with taste in L.A. has to have an Ed Ruscha to take photos in front of in these sorts of situations. Also, I feel like we need to give props to Amy Astley, the former editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue and now editor-in-chief of Architectural Digest, who was like, what if I just smash Domino Magazine and People Magazine together? Well, I think she brought in some high-profile celebrities and some fashion people, and it's definitely improved as a magazine under her watch. Well, it's a magazine that you want to pick up. 
Yeah. Well, also, she needed to rebound, especially being the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue during its unwoke era. It's like she had to pivot to something else and really excel at it. Is she the first girl boss? Is she like proto-girl boss? I think she's just like, she's just a classic old school editor. But I met her once. She was very nice. Anyway, to pivot to things that are not great. Kardashaholics? (laughs) Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. (laughs) Guys, it's been so long. I know. And truly, up until Friday, it was like, what are we going to talk about? I guess the Julia Fox stuff, but that's a little stale. And then, oh boy, guys. Things are looking really dark for Kanye and Kim. I don't love this for Kim, whose side I obviously take in all of this. Yeah, I mean, just to quickly go over everything that happened on Friday, Kanye posted on Instagram that he doesn't approve of North being on TikTok. For some reason, Kim decided to post Instagram stories in response, which you know that this must have been building for the last month for her to actually go on social media. Yeah. Because she too has a Sarah Jessica Parker-esque shrewdness. Totally. I was very surprised. This felt like old Kim, but also I know know that this woman must have been pushed to the brink to post this. Yeah, and also it's said that Northwest is the most Kanye-like of the children. Like, if Kim was like, fine, you want to take TikTok away from North? Like, North, your father is the one that doesn't want you to have TikTok, which I understand is messy to do in, in divorced parents. But, like, you don't think North would beat Kanye down until he let her have her TikTok back? I don't know, but half of it wasn't even about that. It's like, he doesn't like that she's wearing lipstick on TikTok. There's all these other aspects of it which point to other kinds of parental disputes not just having their kid be online and I understand that and do I think an eight-year-old should be on TikTok no but it is also an account that she has with her mother that I believe the mother oversees but also it's like those kids who have been filmed since they were in the womb I don't think get why they shouldn't have social media it's like you've had cameras filming me since I was born what's the difference of me now creating my own content with the camera I have no totally they could have blurred out their kids faces on the show they could have put emojis on their faces on Instagram but they don't she's in the their architectural digest interview yeah She's in Vogue editorials that they've done. So how long before Kim gets a restraining order? Because I feel like this is where things are headed. I know. We're talking about this and kind of picking it apart as if it's funny. It's not funny. It's not funny. And I have a really, really bad feeling about this. And also, yeah, it's going to be difficult when she invariably gets that restraining order because he lives across the street. Yeah. Uh, We should also say that Kanye posted several unhinged looking Instagram posts. Yeah, the thing that Kim said that really set him off was that she's the main provider for them. She's that she's the main provider and caregiver for our children. And that like really set him off. I think provider is what set him off, not caregiver necessarily. And yeah. I get it. That does seem passive aggressive. Yeah. Again, not that I'm not on Kim's side, totally on Kim's side. If Kanye was the sole caregiver of his children, then he couldn't jet off to Berlin or Milan or New York whenever the fuck he wanted to. Or Couture Week with Julia Fox, as we've just seen. My favorite out of all this insanity is when he posted an exchange from Kim's cousin, 
to prove his point that people are privately messaging him that they're on his side. But they start talking about it. And then at one point she goes, is it safe to buy Yeezys on StockX? Well, okay, look, she's not asking him for Yeezys directly. It's not like, yo, can you hook me up? She's like, can I trust StockX? I just love his response. Don't ask me about Yeezys right now. It's like, fair, fair, fair enough. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the right time. So then Kanye was posting on Instagram, like basically saying like, I don't have Kim's number. What's Kim's number? I assume he texted everyone he knows. It was like, what's Kim's phone number? He finally got it from Steph Shep's boyfriend. Yeah, he thanks Larry Jackson, which was not going to end well because they're still incredibly close. Yeah. So then Kanye deleted everything. Look, it's such a tricky situation for Kim because she can't really come out and say Kanye's mentally ill, he's off his meds, because I'm sure she doesn't want people to see him as an unfit parent or have dark custody issues of that nature. We're just in the beginning of this divorce. Yeah. Like, this is where we've started. I know. And it's so awkward that she has to promote the Skims Valentine's Day drop amidst all of this. Oh, she doesn't care. I mean, those are already (laughs) pre-programmed. Well, yeah, she did those shoots like weeks ago, but still. And also the social media manager has had that. I know, but it's still like, it's still kind of bad timing. Yeah, I don't really know how to transition to Kanye and Julia Fox's birthday party. Well, it's Julia Fox's birthday party. Right, which Kanye threw for her, were there. At the very least, he gave her a bunch of baby Birkins. Her and her friends Birkins, which I think is nice. If I was dating someone, would you want a Birkin if he gave me a Birkin? If you're dating a billionaire that's so rich, then yeah, sure, I'll take a Birkin. What did uh, Carrie say about Samantha wanting a Birkin? It's not your style. Right, it's not my style. But if handed one... (laughs) You know one of her friends was like, I got the fucking ugly one. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I have nothing to say about this. I mean, Julia Fox deleted the post of Kanye and was like, we're not broken up. It's because I didn't like the comments or I didn't like the photos. I don't know. I don't care. It's... I still continue to be intrigued by this couple. And a lot of people in my world are like not about this Julia Fox situation. They think that she's like, you know, a desperate fame hungry opportunist but it's like oh that's what I think is cool about this dynamic yeah well also it's like that's how we would have talked about Kim 10 years ago and look at her now I'm very intrigued by this I am pro Julia Fox I think it's potentially dark when coupled with the fact that Kanye is clearly going through it and we have this custody thing on the side and also the fact that Julia Fox had her own custody thing which spilled out onto her Instagram Yeah, but she, like, worked that out. No, she did, but it shows an example that, like, she will get very messy if need be. And great. I'm into it. I I continue to be pro this. But in less dark and controversial news, Miss Kylie Jenner had a baby. Yeah, it's funny that she released this information the afternoon. It was like it it tided people over until the Euphoria episode. It was like she had a couple hours and then the timeline was inundated with Euphoria thoughts and feelings. Uh, The baby was born on 2-2-22. What a birthday. Can you imagine filling out a form with that birthday? How many women induced or planned C-section so their babies could have that birthday? I would do it. I'm not above that. 
Absolutely not. Uh, and then lastly, we have a premiere date for the Kardashians, which unlike what they promised, which was that this would be coming out quite quickly after they film, we're not going to see it till April. Yeah, sad. Courtney and Travis are probably going to be married by then. I know, like Kim and Pete, like, broke it up or married? I don't know. Did you see that Pete Davidson was doing an interview and he talked about what he did in his free time? He said, I don't know, I chill with friends or my I hang out with my girlfriend. I know, made me so happy. I continue to really love this romance for both of them. Well, it's interesting how Kim and Kanye have, sorry to go back to this, but Kim and Kanye are doing the celebrity breakup playbook, right? Where it's like the woman goes with the younger guy, the the guy gets a younger version of the wife. Mm-hmm. But I think the way that Kim's doing it is so much cooler just because it's Pete Davidson. And like with Kanye, it just seems so obvious that he wants Kim clones. I think Julia is her own woman. I'm not referring to Julia. I'm referring to the person he just went to Nobu with. The Julia thing I find more interesting because it's like she's got Sharon Stone and Casino vibes where it's like I have an intention of what I'm going to get out of this. Yeah. And I respect that. I respect that 100%. I do think the makeover aspect of Kanye courtship is really fascinating. It does remind me of that really fucked up episode of Criminal Minds where that woman like kidnaps women, paralyzes them, and then turns them into her human dolls, basically. It's the best episode. And I'm shocked that no one has stolen this for a movie. We'll link to it in the show notes. Even if you don't watch Criminal Minds, like, you don't need to. Like, just watch this episode. It's the most, like, fucked up, depraved, and ultimately delightful way to spend your time. That's basically what Kanye's doing, right? I mean, short of injecting them with chemicals so they're in a constant state of paralysis and making them sit at a fake tea party against their will. Um, Which was this week's (laughs) Euphoria episode, basically. (laughs) I know, that's what I thought. Except that woman is not going to sell them into sex slavery, which is definitely what is happening in Euphoria. Yeah, I'm getting that vibe. She's going to sell Rue to some sick people. Except they're not because Zendaya has a no nudity clause. So there, there is a little bit of safety in that where it's like, I don't think Zendaya is going to let her character go there. Yeah, we won't see Rue debased quite to the, at that level, thank God. But wait, how did this relate to Kanye West? Because he treats his girlfriends oh. like dolls. Yeah. Even Julia Fox had a makeup concept. Oof. Which I enjoyed. Would you want to recreate that? I don't want to recreate it on me. Yeah, on her. Yeah, I think it looks great on her. It's uh, it's Black Swan vibes. It's like um, Kate Blanchett at the end of Notes on a Scandal. I knew you were going <laughs> to reference Notes on a Scandal. Go, go on. No, I have nothing more to say. Okay. We're just talking about eye makeup. I will use any opportunity to talk about Notes on a Scandal, as we all should. I like have a headache from just like this this dump of pop culture. You have a headache from the knowledge that you're going to have to edit this. <laughs> okay, well, this has been fun. It's been dark. It's been sad, but it's been fun. And of course, we will be back on Friday, but only if you throw us some coin. We promise we'll make it worth your while. We're going to drop um, our, and just like that, postmortem. At some point, we'll drop the Magnolia ep. What else are we doing? We're doing a First Wives Club app. At some point, we are going to release a digital zine, which is our guide to Los Angeles. Can you guess what it's called? 
for those who live in Los Angeles, <laughs> for, for those who don't live in Los Angeles. <laughs> exactly. We promise not to annoy you too much. This is the last of the, the Patreon annoyance. No, we're going to continue to annoy you about this. I'm sorry. Wow, this is a real role reversal. <sighs> All right. With that, bye, guys. Bye, fuckettes. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're fuckettes now. Bye, fuckettes. Either see you later this week or next week. Later. Bye. Bye.